chocolate. 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 From Dame Cacao, I'm Max Gandy, and this is Chocolate on the Road, the show where we explore hot topics surrounding cacao and chocolate cultures around the world. So let's hit the road. Welcome back to the Philippines. This is the second episode in a two-part series exploring the journey cacao is on in the Philippines. During the last episode, we explored some of the history of how cacao arrived on the islands and how it's been cultivated until now. We covered a number of little quirks which make the Philippines unique. This includes wrapping every single cacao pot in plastic and drinking rather than eating their chocolate. But we also dove into the recent cacao deficit in the country and what the government is doing about it. If you haven't already, I'd highly recommend you go back and listen to part one, because today I bring you its continuation. Today, we're diving into the stories of a few of the people building up the future of Philippine cacao. All three of them have had a huge role in growing the importance of cacao across the Philippines. Imagine yourself on a tropical island in Southeast Asia. You're in a huge jeep, cruising slowly away from the city center, through farmland, over paved roads. Traffic is minimal, but loud. Eventually, you pull into the driveway of a nondescript warehouse with cacao beans drying on a tarp outside. Inside, you find the headquarters of a countrywide movement. This is Sidami. They're working to plant cacao in all corners of the Philippines. And at its head is Val. I'm uh, Val Tortor. I'm the president of the Cacao Industry Development Association of Mindanao and uh, the chairperson of the Philippine Cacao Council. Val's been with Sidami since its formation in 2010. Since then, they've been working with a number of organizations and the government to increase the quality and quantity of Philippine cacao. After almost a decade of working with farmers to continue to plant more and more cacao, have you been able to give them any outlet for selling their white beans or for selling their fermented and dried beans? Yeah, yeah, beans? yeah. That's what uh, one of the milestones of uh, Sidami because we were able also to refer the, these uh, producers to the market. And in fact, I think uh, I could say that there are areas where it's a seller's market. You know, because uh, we encourage also farmers to form cooperatives. So it's the cooperatives who now buys the, their own beans. And the cooperatives have also contacts with the big uh, buyers. So unlike before, where farmers will just be abused by these traders. And, okay, I'll just buy this for $2, things like that. And the farmers don't, oh, no, no, this is $3. Because the cooperative will buy $3. Then with the entry also of uh, lots of traders and uh, processors, you know, one thing that we also did was uh, we encourage more processors to come in, more farmers to process, because this is a value adding. And before, almost all, said almost all of the cacao beans will just be sold to the Chinese traders. And it's always the Chinese traders will manipulate the price. But now it's, it's no more, because we have a lot of processors who are willing to pay to buy at higher price, because they need the cacao beans to process themselves. Processing cacao beans after harvest can be simplified into two steps, fermentation and drying. Philippine farmers have always dried their beans, but rarely fermented, though this is slowly changing. But both fermenting and drying your beans well makes them of higher quality, 
adding value for farmers. They can sell fermented beans at a higher price, if given access to a market. But another way of adding value to these beans within the Philippines is by making products, like chocolate. Those cacao beans I mentioned seeing drying outside of the sedami compound are actually destined for chocolate. But they don't belong to sedami, but to oro chocolate. Oro actually shares the building with sedami. They work with many of the same local farmers and run into many of the same problems. Sedami's goal is not chocolate making. When they're educating farmers, it's with the goal of generally increasing quality and quantity of cacao. They provide lots of materials, education, and support to farmers across the country. At the end of the day, there are not enough resources left to worry about the tiny ways you can manipulate flavor. That's where Oro comes in. They've been working to identify different cacao varietals using genetic testing. This includes clones, or copies, of varietals from other countries. They're testing processing methods which change small and big details. This includes bean size and plant varietal, as well as drying time and location, and even how many times beans are turned during fermentation, also known as turnings. Here's Louis, Oro's manager of operations in Davao. The, the cacao industry still must learn a lot about fine flavor technology in terms of farm practice. Because before, we only have one cacao, whatever kind of cacao, then the market will just buy whatever the, the quality, whether it is high or low, is the same price. So when we say we produce pine chocolate and we want pine cacao, it's difficult to tell the farmers and the people, what's, what's the difference with the pine? It's all cacao. But when we mentor the farmers, this is the way you do. This is how you will do it. Like for example, before... Um, Whatever cacao, they mix it together all for different areas or different farms, different uh, clones and variety. There is no distinction, but uh, we believe that a certain place like uh, the saloy, pakibato, the tupi, we don't mix those beans from others. Because once we see the beans, the quality of beans is superior, like for example, in a certain village, they say, wow, the quality of the cacao beans there is very different, it's very unique. And it's very potential, then we make a single origin from that village or from that certain farm. Before, it's not a practice. Then, a uh, few months ago, we, we want to develop more flavor on chocolate. Then we decide to separate the fermentation and drying per clones of cacao. And we were able to see the difference if we process the beans by each calcification. Then, we come up with the different flavors of cacao uh, that we can offer to the market. And you divided the cacaos, the Filipino cacaos that you source, by type and by farm? Yes, by farm, by village, uh, by municipality, or by clones or variety. It depends to the potential of the cacaos and the volume. Wow, it's a different uh, flavor notes come up with those selections. Because of the blends of the varietals or because of the proper fermentation? It is both. Because um, what we did is we uh, identify each, uh, I would say, each notes, notes of each, each varietal. 
Then, if there, for example, we found out the smaller beans are more on the nutty notes. And the, like, for example, another one is the UF18. Most of the chocolate uh, processors complain, if we process this uh, cacao beans, the chocolate become too acidic, too astringent. I would say, wow, this is really very problematic to us. So once you do more conching, it's another issue on the chocolate uh, product. Then what we did is we come up with a recipe for these specific clones and we are able to produce more fruity notes and we are able to, do, to, to lessen the acidity by way of fermentation. Like for example, before we are taught to ferment the beans for six days, then now we do only five. Before we are taught you do three turnings, now we are doing two. So there are some intervention actually. Sometimes uh, during the drying process, if there is no strong heat of the sun, so it will become moldy. So we have another strategy of rubbing the beans, those things. Rubbing the beans. Rubbing the beans. You have to rub the beans. It's like you have to massage the beans. Like a puppy. <laughs> okay. So because some of the, the molds grow to the outer layer mm -hmm. of the beans where the flesh uh, mucilage are still there. But if you rub it, then it will create some friction and some uh, wet mucilage will cover up some molds, then the molds will disappear. Then it will become more, again, another... Uh, so the off flavor goes away because of the rubbing process. The beans will become smooth. So during the storage, the molds will not grow because it's not rough. And it will not accumulate some moist. Once it is uh, smooth and shiny, then it you can make it you can store it longer. So your approach to how you fermented and how you've worked with farmers has changed. But when you yes. first launched the chocolate in 2016, did you have all of these different single origins available? We, we have only one double origin because the cacao beans available at that time is a mixture of all. So what was consumers' response when you first launched the chocolate brand? And the first response, like for example, in the first chocolate festival in, in Makati, they always say, is this imported chocolate? I say, no, this all uh, made in the Philippines, materials are all are local. So they're always surprised and they will always compare, oh, the texture is like the Japanese chocolate. Back to Val on the other side of the building. I think Philippine cacao beans is uh, one of the most uh, priced cacao beans in the world. Hmm. I, also, I think just like Latin America, I guess. Yeah, I also noticed on your website that you post what the price is yeah, yeah. At, at the top of the site. Yeah, yeah. What kinds of support are you offering to farmers after they have taken your uh, lessons and your workshops? What kind of support can they find now oh, online? We always tell the farmers that's the, the, the most uh, important thing for you is information. You know, yeah. so before they don't have any access to information as to how much is the price of that one. So when the trader will just uh, come to them, will uh, go to them, then they'll just approach. Uh, so this is a price. You don't have any information that the price in the real market is actually it's higher. So they will always uh, get the information. In fact, uh, we have a program here that you just text the price, then it's automatic reply for the farmers because uh, you know information is really key to yeah uh, information is important. power it's power you see yeah. and before farmers don't have that power of information but right now they know that in fact 
with all this uh, learning that we share to the farmers, I'm also now one of the victims now because I'm also buying cacao, but I cannot buy cacao at lower price. They will always tell me, oh, the price is like this. You were the one who taught us on how to, <laughs> to make a price divide in mga trainings before. It's empowerment. So what we're doing here is really to empower farmers. By centralizing the knowledge and offering these different sorts of classes, mm -hmm. basically, you've created a sort of school, a cacao school yeah, yeah, in the Philippines. Own. Yeah. And of, there's 7,000 islands of the yeah, Philippines? Yeah, more than. Around? Yeah, yeah. 7,200 a year. Around how many of them do you think have cacao growing on them? Well, we have, uh, let's just divide this by regions, I guess. We have 15 regions. All these regions actually are planting cacao. And for me, because I go around the country, every time that I visited the province, after I, I conduct the trainings, and uh, after I conduct a forum, not even trainings, just a forum to promote cacao, that province will definitely plant cacao. As far as memory can recall, there's no single town in the Philippines that I have visited that, that planted cacao or even make chocolates. All the, 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 the places that I visited after I left, two years after, I know that they're already producing cacao. When you are given free seedlings, what will you do? You just plant it. Sidami is now working with farmers across the Philippines. But there's no way they're able to connect with all the farmers who may be interested in and able to plant cacao. That's where the farmers themselves have stepped in. I am Grover Rosset, a cacao farmer of, of Davao City, Philippines. Grover Rosset has been farming cacao for decades, since he married into some land with cacao already growing on it. Did you start off in farming? I started cacao farming when I got married at the age of uh, 22. And then uh, at the age of 27, I started cacao farming while having a job with the Philippine Postal Corporation or the Phil Post, being a mailman for the past 25 years. But during my holidays, during my weekends, we go to our little farm with my children. And that is our bonding time, Saturday, Sunday, doing farm works. And then as a passion also, as a farmer at the very start. Grover was actually featured in a BBC story a few years back, talking about how he'd transformed his life from postal worker to cacao farmer. But that's not exactly how he sees it. In fact, he worked for the government so long that he earned himself a pension after he retired. He'd always been a farmer alongside being a postal worker. It's just that now he's able to focus only on farming. So what's your daily schedule like? As of now, as of now, being a retired government employee of the Philippine Postal, I am more than eight hours on my farm, and I love it because I love farming. It is my passion, and it's really in my heart. Every morning is to visit some of the, of the plants I have because I have Cacao, 80% is cacao. I have uh, about mangosteen, durian, coconuts, and some cash crops like vegetables. I have also some little uh, small animals. I have chickens, pigs, I have goats, dogs. When he started off farming, with cacao in particular, it was with just one goal in mind. For cacao farming, I am very proud of it because for the past 30 years, all of my six children, when I started farming, 
it is only my hope that I can send all the six children to college. It is only my objective that I can send. But the good thing for cacao is, aside from that, I am very thankful that I planted cacao because we have all finished college. And uh, one of my daughter finished the college of medicine. She's now a doctor. So I am very thankful. That's why, as of today, it is now my advocacy to share this good information, the importance of having a cacao in your farm for you to have a bigger income or augment your income for the future of your children. It is now my advocacy. I have now uh, shared my, I have now shared my cacao experiences in Luzon, Visayas, and Mindanao. Every month, I will be having my seminar there for, uh, for, for the farmers to know the good thing for cacao. This is how Grover's empire started. As a farmer in the Philippines, he just wanted to be able to give his children the opportunity to choose their own path. And he did. And it was such a profound realization for him that he started running seminars on cacao farming across the country. Is this situation very typical in the Philippines to be able to put your kids through college on a farm? If you really, most of the farmers in the Philippines have not really made their children go to college. Maybe today they can let the students go to college because we have now the tertiary free tuition fees. But still, farmers could not afford to, to, to give their children even the allowances for, for the college, mm. the, their allowances. So if ever, if ever these farmers wish to plant cacao, I am sure that they can send their children to college and that they can even have an extra uh, earnings that would develop their farm, develop their houses. If you are a cacao farmer, do not limit yourself into seeds, just seeds and then sell the dried beans or fermented beans to traders. Do not limit that as a farmer. Do not be a farmer at all times. Instead, make yourselves an agripreneur. While Sidami largely advocates for planting and processing more cacao, Grover advocates doing more with that cacao. Sidami has some resources for adding value to cacao, but Grover goes even further. Cacao can actually be successfully grown alongside existing crops on most farms, especially coconut farms, which are plentiful in the country. So Grover advocates using and adding value to all of those crops. But first, make your farm nice. Whatever you do, you make nursery, you make tablea, you make chocolates, you make wine, you make vinegar, and then when you visit, when they visit the farm, the farm still looks good, it is fruiting, it is very well managed. Whatever things you do in farming, everything will just follow if your farm is really good. started farming cacao about 30 years ago. 30 years ago. So how is the Filipino cacao scene? How is the industry different now? On the side of cacao farming, Filipino now are quite uh, updated, updated with the latest technology, mm. the advanced technology, how to make the pod bigger, how to have a good fermentation process because of the internet. It really helps. And then Filipino farmers now are quite updated now with the new new, new uh, trend of, of, of cacao farming. So do you mean in terms of how the pods are grown, how the trees are grown, or how it's fermented from, and dried? From 
from nursery to field planting to maintenance in the field until it it bears fruit the 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 size of the of the pods the size of the beans because once the size of the pods and the size of the beans are not good enough they know already how to make it into a productive one they know already how to upgrade the the production and the and the quality and the variety of the cacao trees i think most of the time because from the help of the government government is is also uh, taking measures now taking steps to to help farmers in the cacao farming grover is referring in part to sidami's work but interest in cacao farming is flourishing these days it's gotten to the point that farmers are teaching each other including grover for years, he's been leading seminars across the country, spreading this gospel of cacao to thousands of farmers. So I wanted to know... What have been the biggest obstacles for cacao farmers in Davao? Maybe obstacles is no capital. Second, second, after the seminar, they're very aggressive. And then when each farmer met a failure, they will outright leave. They will outright discourage, demoralize. They will not continue the farming anymore. These are the obstacles that that they have because most 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 of the farmers that would go to seminar here have, have, have really their own farm and have really their other business. No? Farming really needs a person that you trusted and really works for the farm. But if you are not there, it would be very, very hard for you to do farming. So looking forward another 10 years, what do you think will be different, the same? Maybe 10 years from now, cacao industry in, in the Philippines would take off. I can just imagine how many farmers I have, I have shared my experiences. What do you hope that that growth will mean for farmers in the future? That, that, that That's the time, maybe, that there is... There, there, there would now so many farmers that are proud to be a farmer, that are proud farmers. They have now their own factories, they have now their own maybe farms. They can stand within themselves and they can help other farmers as well. So like a community like Oh yeah, yeah that's good. Mm, like, like a, let's say in Davao, we have now a group in Davao doing everything for, for cacao and then helping each one another one another. So that's a very good approach by the city government that we are doing now. For cacao farmers throughout the Philippines and even the, the, the whole world, cacao is the only centennial tree that would grow to the to the least number of months when it is planted in the in the field. It would take you twenty four to thirty six months, it would give you now an income and it will stay there forever if you love farming if you do the 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 gap the 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 good management for cacao it will stay there forever and it is only cacao that can be transferred generation to generation because when it reaches 50 years old you will just cut the cacao tree and then when shoots are coming out you will just graft again cliff grafting and then you have now another newly planted cacao trees that is already productive for the next 50 years. So that is the only tree that can be uh, uh, inherited by generations to gener generations. 
the process of that is rejuvenation. It is only cacao that can be rejuvenated. And then, throughout the world, all the people in the world are eating chocolates, but few of us are, j are growing cacao. We, we are just few countries that are growing cacao. So it is, it is our, it is our, our privilege, or we are loved by by the Lord that our land is feasible and viable for cacao farming. Getting back to our good friend Val from Sidami, in that Daval City warehouse, we finally get to the subject of the government. The Philippine president, Rodrigo Duterte, has called a lot of attention to the country in recent years. But he's also started and continued many policies which have garnered him widespread domestic praise. This includes the country's stance on cacao farming. So the government actually put out this grand plan and publicized it a bit, saying that I think it was by 2020. 2022, we changed that. 2022, okay. Yeah. But first it was 2020, yeah. yeah. They wanted to grow up to 10% of the world supply. That's 100,000 metric tons. Yeah, which is, which is an insanely large amount of cacao. Yeah. Well, that's always uh, the dream. And I think the term will just be keep that's a dream. Yeah, so that's, that's why that's the frustrations because when we had this uh, target of 100,000 metric tons by 2022, so we have this plan every year to plant this much, right? Mm -hmm. Well, the government was able, or the, the, the different government agencies were able also to support that uh, program by providing mm -hmm. free seedlings. The problem is. They just provide seedlings, but they don't even care if uh, the the farmers receive that uh, seedlings planted actually seedlings yeah. or not. If they planted, they don't care if that seedlings being planted were also taken care of, so grown up. So based on our estimates, because uh, a total of seventy more than seventy million seedlings were given away, and that's that's part of the target of one hundred thousand. Because of that seventy million, even if you just uh, get the eighty percent of that. By 2022, we, we have already 100,000 metric tons. Mm. But the real score there is, out of the 70 million seedlings, I think only about 30 million were planted. And about that 30 million that's being planted, I think only less than tw uh, 20 million are productive. So the 10 million are not even part, they're, they're not yet uh, fruit-bearing until now. Mm. They've been there in the, the, the soil, in the land for more than two, three years, but it's not, they're not, uh, the plants are not yet uh, bearing fruits. Why? Management, everything. So, farmers' reason is they don't have money to fertilize. Well, that's always the case, reason, because they're always asking for, so I think there's a problem somewhere in the implementation. As expected, Val was frank about the obstacles to achieving these government goals. After a decade, he has his reasons for tempering his optimism in such a way. What volume of fermented and dried cacao, oh, or just dried Fermented? Cacao? Uh, it's safe to say that it's less than 40% fermented. Oh. Yeah, that's true. So see, over the eight years, that's, why that's part of my frustration. We've been telling them to ferment, it's like that. But you know, we are really, really, uh, also, reality in the ground also is that how can one farmer ferment his beans, her beans, if they will all only harvest 5-10 kilos? You cannot ferment with 10 kilos, you see? You know, 
for every harvest, you can only get 5, 10, or maybe 20 kilos for small farms of half hectare or one hectare. And these are the common size of areas of uh, land of the, the, the farmers, small farmers. So what we uh, taught them is for them to come up with an association. But they're not doing that. You know, but they're not doing that, so they cannot permit. So what is the total volume in the uh, in, in, in the Davao region? Our estimated volume is somewhere between six thousand metric tons. And what about in the Philippines as a whole? Uh, ten thousand metric tons. Okay. So the government wants to ten times the volume of the. Oh, we cannot hit produced. that one. To tell you frankly, it's already three years from now. It's like saying that uh, we'll kill all the drug pushers, but until now, we're still there. What do you envision for Filipino cacao over the next 10 years? Uh, well, we're, we're, as I've said, we cannot hit the 400,000 metric tons with 2022. Maybe some, uh, we'll just ch change the course of uh, implementation, then we can hit that one in 2030. <laughs> So I would ask, oh, can can I have extension for another eight years to to, yeah, to accomplish to achieve this target? But right now our focus is really to produce fine flavored cacao. So I don't care anymore of the the the, the quant quantity. It's more of the quality. Look at the price in in Kalina now. The price of non fermented is between eighty pesos to one hundred pesos. You are lucky if you can sell at one hundred pesos. But for fermented beans, the cooperatives will buy you at 130 to 150 pesos. So the difference is something like 30 to 50 percent. So this is a potential loss for the farmers. But why are they not still heeding uh, our advice? Yeah, because again, culture, second, is of course the volume. And uh, maybe that's why we were trying to check the reality also. These farmers are located in far, you know, far areas. So my farm here is five, five kilometers away from you. So it's very difficult to bring all this to consolidate in one place for fermentation, something like that. So somehow for the next two years, maybe the percentage of fermented beans will go up to maybe 50 to 60 percent. The target's still there. We're still focused, but I'm almost, uh, I, I almost give up. <laughs> I tell you, it's very difficult because you're dealing with these farmers who have been in that in, the, in this practice for 50 years, 40 years, it's really very difficult to change overnight their mindset. So do you think that this mindset is the biggest obstacle? Yeah, yeah, for me. It's still the culture. So we're focusing now with the young generations, the young, young members of the family. Are you seeing more young people interested in farming cacao compared to maybe 10 years ago? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, there are a lot of uh, young farmers now engaged. You know, I know that because I conduct training. Every time I conduct trainings, there are a lot of young millennials who are attending training. And these are the, the, the people that I expect to, you know, to, to, to replace. To help you reach. To, yeah. reach that, uh, to replace all this old tradition that you cannot really change, you know. It's very difficult. So sometimes you have to understand also the culture of these uh, farmers. Culture is a fluid thing always changing with the times and with the people in charge of carrying it on. In the case of Philippine cacao, the people in charge right now are largely older and set in their ways. But that shift which Val mentioned towards younger farmers is happening. And it's not just younger farmers, but younger business owners and younger businesses. 
Take, for example, Ken and Sheila of Cacao Culture Farms, whom we talked to in the last episode. Or maybe even Ayeth and Nel of Rosario's Delicacies, whom we talked to in episode 5 on Treat a Bar. And then there's Oro Chocolate, which only started selling their Devalmade chocolate in 2016. Here's Louis of Oro one more time. We do this chocolate because we want to be connected with local farmers and we are trying hard to see the improvements of lives of the local farmers. That is our main thing. And another is we always believe that Filipino can produce one of the best chocolate in the world. And just last year we received three awards. Now we are able to prove local chocolate can do some kind of noise in the international market. And we are now there. And we will we will do we will try hard to sustain it so that uh, Philippines will be recognized as one of the source of best cacao and best chocolate in the world. So much of what I was expecting from the Philippines was simply based in my own false assumptions and my own history with cacao. From what I'd learned, cacao's natural progression was from raw beans into chocolate. Aztecs used to drink cacao, but that had seemed to fade from popularity. It, it didn't seem to have as much of an impact as eating chocolate does. Yet in the Philippines, chocolate is this whole other substance underrepresented in its own right, but not the common endpoint. Tablea is the clear dominator in the Philippine cacao industry. And even though so many people are working to make great Philippine chocolate and other cacao-based products, that's not going to change. At least, not anytime soon. Tablea is a small but important part of the Philippine identity. So while its flavor and even its ceremony may change over time, it is in no danger of being replaced. In fact, after my trip, I have so much tablea left that I may even have to take some on the road. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Chocolate on the Road. If you liked it, please subscribe, rate, and review the show on iTunes and share it in any way you see fit. Your support means so much, as it really does keep me motivated. It is my absolute pleasure to be able to share these stories and experiences and perspectives from all over the world. And especially huge thank you to Grover, Louis, and Val for taking the time out of their very busy schedules to talk to me. And once again, to Ken and Sheila for taking me all over to Val City, which was not an easy task. They took a huge chunk out of their week just to spend time with me and make sure I got everywhere safely. So to learn more about Ken and Sheila and our other three guests, please check out the show notes of this episode at the link in the description. Or you can also find them on my website at damecacao.com. That's D-A-M-E-C-A-C-A-O dot C-O-M. Have a wonderful day and I hope you'll join me next time we go on the road.